0: Uh, Before service, we were putting these handouts out on your chairs. Don't look at them yet, it's like an SAT test. Don't flip it, we'll we'll get there, don't worry. Um, But uh, one of the volunteers here came up and was like, ah, the money sermon. And I'm like, yeah, but it's just the next text in the Gospel of Mark, we're just moving through. And one of my favorite things about preaching through the books of the Bible is you can't avoid anything. As a matter of fact, next week on Halloween, we're gonna be in Mark 13, which is the abomination of the desolation, all right? So it just kind of makes sense. That the Lord aligned it that way. Uh, And I've I've already kind of got into that text a little bit this week, and and, and I'm excited to see what the Lord's going to do there. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. We're just preaching through the gospel of Mark, and this is what we're encountering. Today's sermon is titled Generosity, and I'm excited to, to walk through it with you. Um, over the years, uh, I've heard, and you've probably heard, some attacks on the Bible. You may have heard that the Bible is kind of man-made, it, it's made up, it's just a bunch of ancient fairy tales kind of compiled into one book, and uh, it's not divinely inspired. How, there's no God, so how can there be a, a word of God? And, and one time, I heard a seminary professor, tell, uh, he was tell, talking to our class and said, hey, listen, if the Bible is man-made, then why does it contain so much the Bible hates, or the ma- that mankind hates? Like if the Bible is made up by men, why would we write so much that we hate, that is counterintuitive to human nature, that is against the grain of everything we believe and walk in? And one of the primary examples of the Bible being abundantly clear to us on, an, on a topic that we just kind of don't love is money. The Bible speaks frequently and clearly on the topic of money, and much of the conversation around money in Scripture is kind of counterintuitive to human nature, kind of counterintuitive to everything we believe and who we are. And so I'm excited for us to just kind of see, man, where am I kind of maybe worshiping money? Where is money an idol for me? How can I crush that idol? Where where have I been maybe apathetic or indifferent to what God calls me to do with my money, and how can I step into everything God commands for me? Now, before I go any further, I just wanna credit a few people. I'm not a big fan of plagiarism, and I know you're not either. Uh, So uh, I just wanna credit some people that have really influenced uh, the direction of this sermon. First, uh, my professor, Randy Alcorn, at Western Seminary. He's also the president of a ministry called Eternal Perspective Ministries. He wrote a book called Money, Possessions, and Eternity. It's really shaped the way Katie and I view our money and steward our money. Uh, second, uh, Chris Lewis, he's a pastor at Foothill Church in Glendora, our, one of our sending churches, our sister church locally, just has taught me more about generosity as a church and as a local pastor than, than anyone, one of the most wildly generous people I know. Uh, Danny Aiken, he's a, profe- a president at Southeastern Seminary out in North Carolina. He wrote a commentary on Mark that was really helpful on this text. And then finally, my, my parents, uh, who I just grew up witnessing working really hard, earning money and stewarding that money generously for the sake of the Lord and the, and, and the good of others. They, they taught us and modeled us how to, for us how to view money. So I just wanna credit them, really helpful there. Here's the main point for today. And it's a mouthful, it's intentional though. Biblical generosity is an act of sacrificial worship where we give all that we have in response to our giving God who gave all that he had. I wanna pull out a couple of things there right off the bat. What you see is that giving generosity is an act of worship. Okay, at Story Church we say this all the time singing is a component of worship, but there are many other components of worship. Serving, being in community, getting after the Lord in prayer, in the word. These are acts of worship. And in the same way, our generosity is is a response of sacrificial worship. And the other key word in there is that giving is a response to God. Hear me, we do not give in order to earn God's favor and love and approval. We give because we already have it in Christ Jesus. Jesus gave his last breath, every drop of blood. Jesus died the death that we deserve to die. He gave everything willingly that we might be saved. And because we are forgiven of our sins, because we are made right with the Father in heaven, the appropriate response is to give in the way he first gave. It's an act of worship, and it's a responsive act of worship. It's not an earning act. We don't do it to obey the law out of obligation. We do it because our God has first been generous to us. So biblical generosity is an act of sacrificial worship where we give all that we have in response to our giving God who gave all that he had. There's gonna be three main points today as we move through this. We're gonna talk about how Jesus sees our generosity, Jesus knows why we're generous, and Jesus commands true generosity. The first thing we're gonna look at is, is Jesus sees our generosity. One of my favorite things about the way that God designed the church, as we read the New Testament, is that God gave us and God commanded that local churches have a plurality of elders. Now, here's what I mean by that. There is no such thing, there should be, I should say, no such thing as a senior pastor ruled kind of church. We don't use that title around here, senior pastor, lead pastor. We're, we're a plurality. Stephen and I serving as pastors and developing more pastors to join that plurality. Now, here's one of the reasons why I love that. We get to share the burden and the load, and we get to walk in wisdom because it, wisdom is found in a council of people. And one of the particular areas that I love, the plurality of elders, is is that around Story Church, I don't write any checks. I don't set salaries. I don't set bonuses. I don't collect the offering after service. I don't see who gives and how much they give. My heart can't handle that. Stephen's the one who has to carry that burden, so pray for him. It's not like he's walking around with money signs over your head, like you get one, like Yelp, one to four dollars. Like it doesn't work that way around here. We work together on the budget and the direction of the church financially, but the intimate details, I don't carry that burden. We have a board that helps us walk in that. Now, the reason why I say that is is I don't see your generosity, but Jesus does. Look back at verse 41 with me of Mark 12. And he, Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury and watched... Now, Jesus has just spent a long period of time in the temple teaching and confronting scribes and religious leaders, calling them out on their sin, rebuking them, correcting them, admonishing them. And then we see that Jesus strategically positions himself to watch the treasury. Now, here's how that worked. In in the temple layout, there would be a couple of large, we'll just call them bins, and and these would have been the copper or or gold-coated bins, and they would have been placed in the corners. And as you went through your kind of temple worship, the sacrificial system, and, and you walk through everything God commanded you to do, at the end of that, that temple worship, you would leave money in the treasury. And this is where Jesus fixed his eyes. Now, now here, here's what, what's going on in this text. When you gave money in the ancient world, you gave coins. It says the widow gave copper coins. Uh, and, and so what happened was the rich would give, and they would give in order to be seen. He, he, you've ever been at the checkout line at like Albertsons or, or Stater Brothers or something and there's that massive green Coinstar kind of thing over in the side and you're just trying to check out, mind your own business, and all of a sudden you see someone with like Home Depot five-gallon bucket of pennies and it's just like, and the, t- like the whole store, you can hear it. It's loud. It's kind of annoying. You're like, bro, you could have rolled those things and taken them to the bank. Why you are paying a fee here anyways? Don't do that. You're losing some of your money, but it's just, la- that's what's going on with the rich. They would walk in with their big buckets of copper coins and they would drop it slowly so that it made as much noise as possible so that everyone in the temple would stop what they're doing, get distracted and see the person who was giving. They were giving in order to be seen and giving in order to be impressive to those around the temple. And Jesus contrasts that with another person he saw, a poor widow with nothing. Two copper coins making up less than a penny. She drops it in there. No one would have heard. No one would have seen. No one would have even noticed she was in the temple. And yet what we see in this text is that the rich are the ones who are disparaged and the poor widow is the one who is elevated. Now here's a reality we have in our relationship with Jesus There are some beautiful things going on in the gospel. There's some grand eternal realities going on in the gospel that Jesus gave his very life, his dying breath, in order that we might be raised to new life through him. And we are secure in our salvation and nothing can change that. Those are some really beautiful eternal and grand realities in the gospel for every Christian in this room. But there are also some daily realities that are on a lower, kind of granular level of the gospel for us. Some of these realities that God's word says that he will provide for us, that he will protect us, that he will care for us, that he will meet our needs. And what's going on in this text is that this widow truly embraced this reality. A widow would have been the most marginalized of society. She would have had no one to care for her, alone. She would have no one to protect her, which is why last week we heard that the scribes took advantage of the widow's houses. They couldn't protect their own homes, so these religious leaders came in and exploited them. They couldn't protect themselves. They couldn't provide for themselves. A widow would not have found work in an ancient world. And yet this widow gave the very last copper coins she had. How could she do that? Because she believed not only does Jesus see her generosity, but Jesus actually sees her. Jesus noticed her and was compassionate towards her and loved her and made promises to her, promises to protect her, promises to provide for her, promises to care for her, promises to meet her needs, promises to be near to her. And Jesus makes that promise to every one of his people. This widow knew this and embraced this, which is why she could give the very last that she had. She could trust that God would come through for her. The rich, however, in this text, it says they gave out of their abundance. In other words, what Jesus is saying there, what Mark is saying there, is that they gave in such a way that they didn't need God. They still had plenty to protect themselves, plenty to provide for themselves, plenty to care for themselves, plenty to meet their own needs, independent of God. They didn't believe that Jesus sees them and they didn't believe that Jesus's word and promises are true. So first point, Jesus sees our generosity, but even more than that, Jesus sees us and he promises to meet us where we are. Number two, Jesus knows why we're generous. Jesus knows why we're generous. Now, again, here's something that's going on in this text. Both parties give, the rich and the poor widow. They give. They they go into the treasury and they give. The rich who give a ton are the ones, again, who are disparaged. And the widow who gave out of her poverty is the one who is honored. Now, why can this happen? What is Jesus doing here? Well, this happens because it's not the gift that matters, it's the heart underneath the gift that matters. That's true of the whole of the Christian life. Jesus is not after your behavior, Jesus is after your heart. He doesn't want you to serve just because we say to serve. He wants you to serve because you love him and you love his people. He doesn't want you to read his word just because he says to read his word. He wants you to read his word because you love him and want to hear from him. And he commands us to give not just because we need to give. He commands us to give because he wants us to know or he wants to know that our hearts love him more than we love our money. And the rich, their heart was tied up in the love of money. And this widow gave the last that she had because she loved Jesus more than she loved her money. Jesus is after your heart. Giving is about a heart of worship, sacrificial worship in response to what Jesus has done for us. Now, I wanna read to you something directly from our website, If you go click on the give button on our website, it'll take you to an external page where it has reasons why we give. Okay, it'll explain how to give, but it also says why we give. And one of the sections says this why we give because of worship. Opportunities for charity are everywhere, and there are plenty of credible places to give. In fact, you might think Story Church is just another one of them. But to the Christian, church giving isn't about charity, it's about worship. God instructs us to give regularly, generously and sacrificially out of all that he gives us because we have a God who has been incredibly generous to us. What an appropriate response to who he is and all that he has done, an expression of gratitude, obedience and reverence, worship. Proverbs 3:5 Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. This widow in this text understood something that the rich in this text never could. Your money can't save you, but Jesus has. Your money cannot truly satisfy you, but Jesus will. Your money cannot protect you from the realities of life, from the realities of suffering. But even in that, Jesus is your refuge. Your money will be this false security that's fragile and it'll collapse under your feet. But Jesus is the firm foundation of eternal security in such a way that money never can be. In other words, this widow understood the gospel, a God who sacrificially gave his only son to accomplish our salvation, and a son who willingly and freely gave his very life that we might be saved. We give because he first gave. And just like every area of our lives of worship, Jesus expects us to grow in response in worship as we understand these realities more and more deeply. I want to read to you a couple of quotes. The first one from Warren Wearsby. The rich made a big production out of their giving, but Jesus rejected them and their gifts. It's not the portion, but the proportion that is important. The rich gave out of their abundance, but the poor widow gave all that she had. For the rich, their gifts were a small contribution, but for the widow, her gift was a true consecration of her whole life. Her giving was worship. Next one. The test of liberality is not what is given but what is left. In the context of giving and of worship, the test of liberality is not what you've given. It's how much is left over. We give as an act of worship and we give until it hurts and we give liberally. Why? Because Jesus first gave and he gave liberally and he gave until it hurt and he gave until he died for our sake. This is why we give as an act of of worship, It's not about the amount given. It's the heart underneath the gift. Final thing, and I just want to get practical here. Jesus commands true generosity. Now you can go and grab your handouts. We're going to kind of reference that as we go. And you'll see some scripture attached to each of the points. The reason why is the Bible speaks abundantly on money and wealth and stewardship and generosity. And I just wanted to reference on each of those points, we didn't make this up. This is straight from the Bible. And, and, And I'm not joking here, you can count them. I've got 30 points. So when I say this is my final point in the sermon, I actually mean I've got 30 more to go. So buckle up, we're gonna keep moving here. This, you'll see, is how clear the Bible is. And at Story Church, the Bible is our authority. We follow obediently the commands of Scripture. Now, as I get practical, I'm gonna open with this. Everything God does, God does with a purpose. Every single thing God does in this world, he does with a purpose. So as you live your Christian life, you're not living it aimlessly as you walk through suffering, as you walk through victory, as you go into community, live in Christian relationship. It's not kind of like this ambiguous and aimless thing. God is working out his eternal purposes in each of those things. You might call this the will of God. What is the will of God? What's the purpose of God in my life? My life and I think oftentimes many of us have confusion around like man what's what's the will of God for me what should I what should I do here And we kind of get paralysis by analysis let me, let me just share with you what the Bible says about God's purpose for you God's will for you first uh, Thessalonians 4 says this for this is the will of God cats out of the back here it is your sanctification Ephesians five, the will of God is that we would be full of the spirit and growing in holiness. Philippians chapter two, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for this is God's will for you. If you wanna know God's purpose in your life, God's will for your life is your sanctification. That you would look more like Jesus. That's what sanctification means. Progressively, uh, one degree of glory to the next, looking more like Jesus. That is God's will for you. This is God's will for you with your money as well. God's will for all of us as we consider stewardship and generosity is that in our money, in our view of generosity, God's will for us, not that we would have more, God's will for us is that we would look more like Jesus. Some have more, some have less, and in all of it, God's making us look more like his son, Jesus. He wants us to look like Jesus. So for the first thing I wanna talk about is what is the sanctifying purpose? What is the will of God for us in money? How does he make us look more like Jesus? That's the first part on the handout. Number one, and and I'm going to kind of jump around. I may not touch each of them as we go through, but you can go home and check my work. Number one, God uses money to grow us spiritually as we grow more dependent in our faith. The reason why God commands us to give and give and give and give until it hurts and then give again even if it hurts is because God knows nothing can slow our sanctification down quite like the love of money. Now hear me, money is not evil. The Bible does not say that. God uses money. God created money. Money was uh, God's idea. But in money... God knows it can promise to us some things that woo us to worship money to bow down to money, to make money an idol, to have our hearts tied up to money because money promises us some of the things that only God can deliver on. So God says, no, no, I'm gonna command you to be generous so that you don't have that love of money. I want you to have open hands with your money, freely giving of your money so that you don't worship it and bow down to it. And this is how we grow in dependency, less dependent on our finance, and budget, and more dependent upon Jesus alone. Number two, God uses money as missionary ammunition. Money grows his mission and earthly ministry through the local church. One of the things I say often around here when we talk about giving and, and giving, particularly to Story Church, is one of the reasons why we want you to set up regular giving is that so that we, as pastors, can forecast the future, our different ministries, our different programs, where we're gonna be generous to, how we're gonna give, what, what missionaries are we gonna support. We wanna be able to plan into the future with our budget. And that's not just because we're worried about our paychecks. Hear me, I wanna say this, you don't pay my paycheck. You don't, if you believe that, like, we can talk after, after church, and I'm serious. You don't pay my paycheck. God provides for me in the same way he provides for each of you. Okay? So I just want to get that on the table real quick. I'm not nervous about this text at all or the money conversation because I'm free in the Lord and I'm free in his word. You don't pay my paycheck. So I'm not worried about you setting up regular giving so I know my, my family's needs are going to be met next year, that Stephen's family's needs are going to be met next year. God's going to do that. I'm not worried about that. We've seen that. We look back at God's faithfulness over and over and over again. We want to increase our mission, increase sending people, increase supporting local ministries, increase meeting the needs of Rancho, increase going outward from Rancho all over the We wanna do these things, but we can't do these things unless we know what resources are coming in. Money is missionary ammunition, and we want it to come through this place and go outward so that more people might meet Jesus and worship him alone. It's not about my paycheck. It's about souls coming into the kingdom, Money is missionary ammunition. Number three, God uses money to connect believers that have less to believers that have more. One of my favorite stories that's happened over the last year, there's a family in our church that had some appliances in their home break down, and they kind of shared that need quietly with with others, and there was another family in the church who heard of this, and they just went out and bought those appliances, delivered it to them, set them up for them, and, and just, again, did it quietly, we didn't broker it. We didn't even know about it for like three weeks. And it's kind of like, man, we would have loved to be involved in that. But, but hey, that's what happens. Believers with extra get to meet the needs of believers that have less. This is called benevolence. And we want to be a benevolent church. And not just within the church, but outside of the church. There are needs all around us, and we want to meet those needs. God uses money to show his infinite power and divine sovereignty. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, which is just the Bible's way of saying God owns everything. Everything belongs to God. We are not owners. We are simply stewards of God's resources, entrusted to our care for a time, and then we're going to die, and those resources are going to go to someone else, probably the federal government. We had to laugh a little, okay? It's kind of heavy. I'm feeling it. God shows his infinite power. How does he do that? He does that because this widow gives everything. And the text didn't say the widow went home and croaked because she couldn't meet her needs. No, no, God in his power met her needs. And as we give, God gets to flex. God gets to show his power. How impressive is that? He owns everything and he has the ability to meet all needs. But when we're, when we're just enraptured with our money, we don't go to him asking for him to meet our needs. We never get to experience his power in that way. We're leaving something on the table when we do this. God uses money in the work of obediently following his lead. This past week, I was with nine other pastors in Vegas for kind of a cohort conference type of thing uh, with the network of churches we're a part of. It's called Acts 29. Um, there was nine other pastors there, and we were kind of talking around a table for a few days, problem solving and caring for each other, praying for each other, these kind of things. Uh, one of the topics that came up was, hey, how has giving in your church been through uh, COVID? How has it been over the last 18, 24 months? And pretty much everyone had the same thing, some up, some down, some really low lows, some really high highs, like whatever else. And and then one of the guys said, hey, how do you talk about money? How do you guys do kind of like the, the offering at the end of service? We're thinking about that. And one of the guys kind of tongue in cheek said, I walk up on stage and I say, God commands us to give, so give. And then I walk off stage. And he was being joking about that. Like, we don't do that. It's kind of harsh. Like, he doesn't do that. But, but what he's getting at there is the truth that God commands that we give, so we give. Our job as Christians is not to edit the commands of God. Our job as Christians is to obediently follow the commands of God, even and especially the ones we don't like, like giving. We obediently follow God's lead. Why? Because he's a better leader than you'll ever be. We make terrible gods. Every one of us make terrible gods. So let us follow his lead. And then finally, God uses money to show us that we can trust his promises. Hear me, God's word is not in vain. It doesn't come back to him empty. He doesn't speak things with empty promises. Every promise in the Bible to you is true and will come to pass. You can trust his promises as you give that he's gonna meet your needs the needs that he has set for you, not the ones that you've set for yourself. That's the sanctifying purpose of money in our lives. If we embrace God's purpose with money, what's gonna happen? We're gonna grow to look more like Christ. That's the aim of the Christian life. That's the will of God for us. Look more like Jesus. So we step into these things and we watch God work and he forms us and molds us and shapes us into people who look more and more like Jesus. And I wanna look more like Jesus there's times in my life where there's days, I had a day yesterday on the couch with Katie and she's like, you don't really look like Jesus right now. And I'm like, ouch, that kind of hurts. And she's like, you need to step into this. It's for your good. It's God's will for you. And I'm like, yeah, but that hurts. And she's like, just because it hurts doesn't mean you don't do it. No pain, no gain, bro. That's my wife. <laughs> she was way kinder than that. We want to look more like Jesus. Jesus. And when we don't, man, we drifted away from what God wants for us. I want to read to you an extended quote from a book called Master by a guy named Ron Blue. Very few Christians would argue with the principle that God owns it all. And yet, if we follow that principle to its natural conclusion, there are three revolutionary implications. First of all, God has the right to whatever he wants, whenever he wants it. If I really believe that God owns it all, then when I lose any possessions, for whatever reason, my emotions may cry out, but my mind and spirit have not the slightest question as to the right of God to take whatever he wants, whenever he wants it. Really believing this also frees me to give generously of God's resources to God's purposes and God's people. All that I have belongs to him. The second implication of God owning it all is not only is my giving decision a spiritual decision, but every spending decision is a spiritual decision. As a steward, I have a great deal of latitude, but I am still responsible to the owner. Someday I will give an accounting of how I used his property. The third implication of the truth that God owns it all is that you can't fake stewardship. A person who has been a Christian for even a short while can fake prayer, Bible study, evangelism, going to church, and so on. But he can't fake what the checkbook reveals. Martin Luther famously said there's three conversions. The conversion of the head, the conversion of the heart, and the conversion of the pocketbook. The third and final conversion of the pocketbook. So God uses money to sanctify us, just like he sanctifies us through his word, just like he sanctifies us through our jobs, just like he sanctifies us through our marriages and our parenting and our relationships and our home groups and this gathering, God sanctifies us with our money. But here's the truth about sanctification, at least mine, and maybe you're different than me. I get in the way all the time. I slow God's sanctification in my life down like crazy, like Caltrans shutting the road down for no reason at all. I'm like, God, I'm gonna get in the way of what you're doing here. I'm gonna go ahead and stop this. I don't want this to move on anymore. And I think that's probably true of you because you're a sinner just like me, but I sometimes wanna slow down God's sanctification. I get in the way. So here are some ways we slow God's sanctification down, some sinful ways that we view money or generosity. It's on your handout. Number one, We have more faith in our money and our material goods than we do in our eternal God. That's what's going on with the rich in this text. They knew that giving out of their abundance, they would have a ton left over in savings and they could provide for themselves. They didn't need to be dependent upon Jesus. They didn't need Jesus at all. They were giving out of moral obligation and that was it. This widow gave out of total worship. And I think all too often, especially in a wealthy suburb like Rancho, we put our faith in our money. We put our faith in how much we have or how much we don't have in comparison to others. Number two, we begin to desire riches more than we desire God. We all make decisions that benefit our pocketbook, but delay the work of God in our life. We all do this. We go after earthly wealth while being stingy. This is what I see all around us in the place like this with wealth like this. Going after earthly wealth and then giving a tip to God at the end of it. Not giving sacrificially, not giving generously. It's kind of like hat tip to God, you did it. Thanks God, this is my response to you. Not seeing the needs of others and and meeting those needs. And don't hear me just calling out Story Church. This is a cultural idol in a place like this. And just by osmosis, every one of us has accepted this and walked in this. Number four, we become enslaved to debt, we don't pay due bills, and we lack integrity. This is probably me specifically calling out my generation. Listen, we can talk about how the economy works and and how interest works and all of those kind of things, but if you signed your name on a piece of paper, you pay that thing back. Your yes is your yes. The Bible says that this is a matter of integrity, and Christians should be the most integrous people on earth. So if you said you're gonna pay something back, you do it. You pay your bills. You don't wait for someone else to do it, especially the federal government. Another laugh there, huh? An awkward laugh. Like, oh, is that funny? It's kind of painful. We are not to be a slave to debt. Those little plastic things in our wallets are not free money, though we believe that. Your job is to pay that thing back in such a way that you do not become enslaved to your debt where you're just trying to catch up and you can't live generously because you've taken on too much debt. Don't believe the the worship of the day. Don't believe Satan's lies in our culture that somehow buying more things is going to make you happier. That somehow pulling another card and getting another 27% interest rate is going to make you more satisfied. Don't believe the lie. It's not true. And the Goal line always moves back. You're gonna get that thing and guess what? Three seconds later you're gonna be unsatisfied which is why as parents on Christmas morning we're always just a little bit angry probably because our kids woke us up too early and also because our kids get their gift and four seconds later they've booted it to the side and they hate it. Why? That thing can't satisfy our kids. We know this intuitively. Things cannot satisfy you. Experiences cannot satisfy you. Don't take out more debt to get more stuff that's gonna leave you high and dry. Only Jesus, always Jesus. Number five, we compromise our Christian ethic and fail to honor our moral obligations. We have obligations as a people to widows, to orphans, to refugees, to the marginalized of society. That's in the Bible. I don't care how you feel politically about that. We're obedient to that we must meet those needs. If they come our way, we meet those needs. And oftentimes with our money, we fail to be Christians in how we view and treat other people. It's unlike Christ. Number six, we fail to make investments for future needs and refuse to think about future generations. You do have a responsibility, parents in the room, hear me. You have a responsibility to set future generations of Cunninghams, fill in the blank, future generations up. You do. That's your obligation. We must always be thinking about others when it comes to our money. Yes, others around us, but others that are gonna come after us as well. So just here's a basic thing where Katie and I, when we first got married, we we sought some counsel. Where should we start with this money thing? And the guy told us this, and we adopted this. Give 10% first, save 10% next, 5% 5% as a rainy day fund, and then 10% for investments. And guess what? You get to live off 65%. And we kind of heard that. And we're like, 65%, I'm an intern. She's kind of struggling to get a job. Like, man, we're not gonna be able to make ends meet, and we're not gonna eat dinner, but we're just like, all right, God, we're gonna step into this. And we ate a ton of peanut butter, and we lived in a trailer park. I'm not joking. We did. My, my brother-in-law, who's Hawaiian, likes to call us white trash um, because we lived in a trailer park. Not funny. Um, <laughs> ate lots of peanut butter, ate lots of noodles, and we committed to giving. And God's promises proved to be true. He met our needs. He met our needs. And we've never altered our lifestyle to go beyond 65% of our income. And I know you're probably hearing that, like, that's not much. It's not, but God is enough. And his power is enough. Finally, we don't give from a willing and a cheerful heart. Hear me. i tried to say this. We do not give to earn God's love. We give because we have it. We give because he first loved, to, uh, loved us and first gave to us. So we're not giving from some kind of, you know, play position before God. Where we're like, God, I'm trying to, trying to give enough so you'd finally love me. God, I'm trying to just pull more out so you can, no, 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 God loves you. You're forgiven. You can never give another cent in your life and you would still be saved and God's love for you would not wane. But God wants more for you. He wants you to grow. So we grow and we give joyfully out of worship. All right. God wants to sanctify us. He wants to look more like Jesus with money. We get in the way all of the time. So what are some steps we can take? What are some principles of gospel generosity? That's kind of the final page, gospel generosity principles. There's 17 points there. I promise you I'm not gonna touch every single one of them. I might, but here we go. First three, right off the bat, I'll do them together. I belong to God. Everything belongs to God, and God has entrusted stewardship to me. You're not an owner, your fists are not closed. You are a steward and our our hands are wide open to God. We steward, we steward things along to future generations. The stuff that belongs to you now is gonna be in a junkyard eventually. The stuff that belongs to you now might be passed down. It's probably in an attic, getting some spiders and some webs, some dust. You know, we watch National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. He's up in the attic and he's watching old Christmas reels. We've seen that movie, right? That's like the best Christmas movie of all time. We can say this. Thank you. Someone agrees. Don't come at me with like some black and white movie. Like those movies, like without color, it just kind of sucks. <laughs> the dialogue's bad. It's boring. God has entrusted stuff to us. And when we view ourselves as owners, we are trying to take the place of God in our lives. And again, you make a terrible, I make a terrible God. Number seven, giving is supposed to hurt. Giving is meant to be sacrificial. We are supposed to give in order to trust God more. Push yourself to the limits where you get to, we don't test God, hear me, Christian. We don't ever test God. We don't tell him that, God, I'm gonna test you. No, no, but we trust God. There's a difference between testing and trusting. And we go to the place in our lives financially. We're like, God, I trust you. You say you're gonna come through. You promise to come through. You're gonna meet my needs. And we trust him and we watch him work in our lives. So what does this mean? Giving should, should alter our lives, okay? We don't need every streaming platform out there. We don't need every cup of coffee out there. We don't need every vacation out there. We don't need every new car and new iPhone and new computer. We don't need those things, and we alter our life in order to give. Giving, number eight, is not just a matter of what we give. Again, this is an issue of the heart. God is after your heart. He wants you to have a heart that's in love with him, so you freely give back to him. Number 10 and 11, I'll hit together. Giving can can be, at time, a response to a need, but giving most often should be regular and planned. Here's what I mean by that. Here's a difference here. July 18th, we brought Eduardo in from Colombia, okay? And Eduardo preached, and it was fantastic, and we love Eduardo, and we, as a church, rallied to give Eduardo 26 grand a year which in Columbia goes really far. We've had a message us at times. It's like, guys, like I, I'm kind of just saving this right now, maybe for a building. I don't know what to do with all of this. Don't stop giving to him. Let's give, and let's give more to him. That was giving in response to a need. But as your pastor, there was kind of like a little bit of an internal struggle there at the end of that day. Why? You never gave 26 grand to Story Church. And I'm not trying to make you feel bad about that. All I'm saying is, you gave, the money's there, the heart of generosity's there. There was just a need present, and that need moved you. But what about the needs all around us? They may not be as visible, or as distant, or as compelling as that Sunday when Eduardo was here, but it doesn't make the needs any less than. There are needs all around. All around us. We want to meet those needs as a church, which is again why we want you to set up regular, planned, sacrificial, and joyful giving. All you got to do is hit the give button online, it'll set it up. It'll come out automatically. If you want to give with paper checks, like Rick, go ahead and grab one of those offering envelopes and drop it, and Stephen will run it to the bank. The digital goes straight to the bank. I love you, Rick. I really do. (laughs) (laughs) Tough love. (laughs) Giving could be in response to a need. It's most often regular and planned, where we forecast it in our budgets. Again, it's not a tip to God at the end of the service, it's regular and planned. Number 12, giving should be reflective of the love of the gospel, not the burden of the law. We are not trying to law-abide to earn more of God's love. We are giving because of his gospel love to us. Hear that. I'm going to say that and say that and say that. Giving is primarily about treasure. Okay, We have this kind of twisted view around giving where it's like, I give my time and my talent, but I don't give my treasure. Like I'll show up and I'll, I'll serve or I'll, I'll meet somebody. And you should do that. You should show up with your time and with your talents, but that's serving, that's not giving. Those are two distinct things. We don't see this widow in this story showing up to the temple and she's like, guys, I got a great voice. And so I'll just sing some worship songs here in the temple. I'll keep my two copper coins because I gave my time and my talents. I can't give my treasures though. I don't have enough treasure. Giving is primarily about money. Giving should be without strings attached. It's a big one. Um, We've had in the last several months, people, uh, big um, givers in our church leave because they met with me and they tried to make some demands tied to their giving. And listen, if you wanna talk to the wrong guy about that, come meet with me. Like I just was kind of gently but firmly, the door's that way, please leave. I'm sure there's another church in town that will gladly submit for the love of money. That's not present at Story Church. Okay? And I'm not being hard on any of you. Those people aren't here now. I wish they were. I wish they were hearing this. They're not here though. And that's okay. God will meet those needs. God, we're praying, we're asking for God's spirit to move in their lives. But we give in such a way where it's like, I trust I trust God, I trust my pastors, I trust this church. I know that it's gonna be used for his glory and the good of others. Giving should be joyful. Number 15, to give without joy reflects a broken spirituality. In the same way, to read the lyrics that we sing and to be unmoved shows a broken spirituality. And that's not a bad thing. That's just a thing to go to God and say, hey, God, fix me. God, I wanna be with you, grow me, help me know you, help me respond to you rightly, help me to experience your love in such a way that I'm truly transformed by it. In the same way we give joyfully. I mean, goodness sakes, we just had a celebration service three weeks ago. How incredible was that? Your generosity led to us having tents and, and, and sound equipment and a baptismal. And those are minor things compared to the lives changed and the lives being changed and the people being reached and the homes children are being raised. That's what you're participating in through your giving. That's not happening through us. That's happening through all of us. That's what's going on here. We give with joy knowing what God's doing. Finally, giving is showing our faith has feet. We are not just hearers of the word, we are doers of the word. And we hear often in the Bible give and give generously and give joyfully and give sacrificially. We're like, "Ah, I'm not going to do that one. I'm going to ignore that one. No, no. Our faith has feet and it works out in many different ways. And one of those ways is in our generosity. Those are some principles. And I'd love for you, please, like, I worked hard on this. Don't throw those away. We're going to see, I'm not going to see those in the trash on the way out, please like just for my heart, take them home, okay? I did work hard on it. Put them on your fridge, keep it in your car. I don't know what you need to do with it, but just ask God, move, speak to me, help me. Where do I need to hear you? Where do I need to grow? Where am I convicted? Where should I be comforted? Where, God, should I I be thankful? Because you meet my needs. And then consider how can I step into this? Now, let me close like this. The widow in this text gets it right because her heart is in the right place. And where was her heart? Squarely in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus paid it all. Jesus canceled our record of debt on the cross. Jesus gave his last breath. Jesus gave the last drop of blood till his body went limp. Jesus gave it all that we might experience gospel love, gospel forgiveness. This is where this widow's heart was. This is where the Christian's listening. This is where your heart is. And so we can trust that Jesus Christ is going to meet my needs because he's already met My greatest need. The gospel, rightly understood, is not just about forgiveness of sins. It's also about daily living in this world. And what's more impactful in our daily living than money? It's why we go to school. It's why we get degrees. It's why we work jobs. It's why we do what we do because of money. It's such an integral part of our daily lives. Therefore, it's an integral part of our Christian lives where we trust Jesus paid it all. I am loved by. God. I am forgiven of my sins, and now I'm free to be generous. And church, hear me. We want to continue to increase in our generosity. We want Eduardo to just be one of many. We want to put him on a list and put others on a list locally, globally, in California, outside of California. We want to send churches all over the IE. This is what we want to do. We want to plant churches in Spanish. We want to plant churches in Arabic. We want to plant churches in Chinese. And I know you're hearing that, and you're like, well, we're kind of a small church and we're new. We don't have a lot of people. Where's the money? We're not going to be able to hear me. It's not about us, it's about what God's doing through us. And we might have just a few resources, but God can do a lot with a little. We saw in Mark earlier, He fed thousands with a couple of pieces of bread and a little bit of fish with leftovers. You think He can't do something great through Story Church? He can. And we're praying and we're asking and he's already doing it. We may not be able to see it right now, but the fruit will come. Our God is faithful to bring fruit when we are faithful to him. We're gonna see him do this. And one of the primary ways we do that is by all of us getting on board and saying, my money is missionary ammunition. I am going to see more people in the baptismal. I'm gonna see more babies dedicated. I'm gonna see more missionaries sent. I'm gonna see more pastors trained. I'm gonna see more churches planted. I'm gonna see Story Church find a permanent home in Rancho where we can do ministry seven days a week, huh? We wanna do that. We're praying for that. We don't know where. Might be here, might be somewhere else. We're praying and asking God, what does that look like? We don't know what it's gonna look like. We wanna open it out. We have vision that is so far beyond our money, but our vision is not beyond God. Is your vision for your life beyond your money? Is your vision for your home, your children, your marriages, your jobs. Is it so out there that God's got to come through on your behalf? Is that where it's at? Or are we like the rich in this text? It's like, all right, I got, to, I got enough here. I can go home and still trust. I'm not saying be flippant or dumb with your money. What I am saying is be sacrificial in such a way that you must trust God more and your vision must be within his power, which is so far beyond your power. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he did give his very life that we might be saved. I pray we'd be a people who look more like Jesus and give lavishly and abundantly and generously and sacrificially and joyfully in such a way that we can watch your power move in our midst beyond anything we've ever experienced. God, I pray for those who have never given, would you give them the courage for the first time to give? For those who are giving, would you give them the courage to step into greater levels of giving so that they might trust you more and see you work more? For those who are not Christians, I pray you would show them your grace and your mercy that your son Jesus gave it all that they might be forgiven of sins, restored to relationship with you, and have so many promises every day in the gospel, promises of security, promises of hope, promises of joy, promises of peace. God, would you do that for us? And would you help story? church become a play that is crazy generous, something that blows the minds of people around us. And would you, God, with our money, would it not just be about storing up talents in a bank account, but would it be about living missionally, developing outreach, reaching people, planting churches, sending missionaries? God, we are unable to do that work, but because we're unable doesn't mean you're unable. You are absolutely able, God. Would you show your ability in our midst? Would you flex your might? Would Story Church be blown away by your goodness, your glory, and your greatness all around? God, we need your help in this area. We live in a wealthy suburb where the cultural idol of the day is worship of money. Would Story Church not be those people? Would we gladly crush our idols and worship Jesus alone? Where we have idolatry, God, would you reveal that to us? Help us put that to death, stomp it out, and walk in the newness of life that Jesus has purchased for us. God, we love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.